we did a bit called Dave's Not Here. We recorded it one night. That night, Lou sent it out to the radio stations. And that morning, the next morning, we were famous. Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Tommy Chong is on the show. I almost feel silly recording an intro for Tommy, given how iconic he is in comedy, film, and television. He really needs no introduction, but for listeners born in the late 80s on, who may have somehow missed the ubiquitous pop culture references to Tommy's work, here's a Cliff's Notes version of Tommy's resume. Tommy Chong became famous recording comedy albums with Cheech Marin as the comedy duo Cheech and Chong in the early 70s through the mid-80s. Their act was so successful, they were able to parlay that success into a movie career, making Up and Smoke, Cheech and Chong's next movie, and Nice Dreams, among others. After Cheech and Chong broke up in the mid-80s, Tommy continued his comedy career as a stand-up while also booking numerous television and film roles. If you were a fan of that 70s show, Tommy played the old hippie character Leo for five seasons. In addition to having an impressive IMDb page with numerous acting, directing, producing, and screenwriting credits, Tommy has been a longtime spokesperson for the legalization of marijuana and even has his own line of marijuana products in states where it's legal. In the early 2000s, well before the legalization movement, Tommy had a glass pipe business that was the subject of a sting operation, and Tommy ended up serving a federal prison sentence for these charges. Needless to say, we had a lot of ground to cover in this interview, so when I was doing my research to prepare, I tried to pay attention to the stories that perhaps haven't been told yet. So that's where I focused the interview. As a result, we didn't talk much about his time in prison, because I found a lot of material on that subject during my prep including a documentary called A.K.A. Tommy Chong. Instead, we talked about his childhood growing up in Calgary, his experience playing guitar in various bands before comedy, how he met Cheech, what that collaborative process was like when performing stand-up together, his approach to recording comedy albums, challenges he faced while making movies with Cheech, how Tommy redefined himself after Cheech and Chong broke up, and many other topics that give you a sense of who Tommy is creatively. Because we covered so much ground in this chat, the interview is longer than most, so I decided to create two versions. The audio-only version that you're listening to now is about 12 to 15 minutes shorter than the YouTube version. If you're looking for bonus content, where Tommy and I talk a bit about politics, religion, and spirituality, check out the YouTube version. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat with Tommy Chong. Tommy Chong, welcome to DreamPath Podcast. Well, my pleasure, my friend. I'd like to start by sure. asking you about creativity. And I notice on your social media, I follow you on Instagram and Twitter, and I see a lot happening with commerce and your marijuana business Yes, in the states that have legalized marijuana. And I, I'm in Washington state, mm -hmm. so we were kind of on the forefront of that. And I know that, of course, you have this long history in the arts of comedy and music and film and television. Where are you right now creatively versus focused on your business? Oh, totally. Uh, I'm, I'm the spokesperson, you know, and it was ordained. I, I, you know, I feel I, I'm, I'm, I was ordained to do what I did. 
you know, all the way back to the to the movies. You know, those the really the the records were the first uh, you know outlet for us for me. Right, comedy albums. Yeah, the comedy albums, and uh, we you know we had a choice back then. Uh, we could have gone uh, you know recorded our live act you know and like everybody else did you know uh, but instead I felt more empowered to record our our skits uh, audibly you know I sort of you know I've, I've always been like into the in, into the music scene and music there's always been blind people <laughs> mm-hmm. you know in the music scene that I looked up to right from the, my very beginning uh, because their world of their audio world was uh, all their their entire world. Mm-hmm. So so when we had a chance to to do records and that that just happened almost like instantaneously. You know what happened? Lou Adler, the record producer, saw us at the Troubadour, uh, our live show, and then he he just liked us so much. He he said, "Come on in, let's meet, mm-hmm. let's do something." You know. And uh, he had been, uh, you know, he promoted the Monterey Pop Festival. You know, he wasn't just a record producer. He was an entrepreneur, promoter and everything. And so when we met with Lou, uh, you know, we're in this record (laughs) office and looking around. He says, so what what do you guys want to do? And I said, make a comedy record. Of course. (laughs) What else? Why else would we be here? Right. You know? And, and that's, we had to start somewhere. And so, and, and our very first uh, attempt, not even a recording, this was our very first rehearsal. And by the way, the only rehearsal <laughs> that we ever did was uh, a, a record that went viral immediately, even before we had finished the album. We did a bit called Dave's Not Here. Okay, I remember that one. And that, that went we recorded it one night. Uh, that night, Lou sent it out to the radio stations. And that morning, the next morning, we were famous. That was December of 1971, right? The Santa Claus and His Old Lady album? No, the actual name is just Cheech and Chong. It's a yellow album Got it. with a snake and a Mexican okay. uh, on, on, on the thing. And uh, But the skit itself, the reason I'm bringing that up is that uh, we just finished doing a, a documentary, uh, Cheech and Chong documentary. And in the documentary, Cheech and I are in the car, and we're sort of rehashing and arguing, by the way, yeah. <laughs> about who wrote what, who did what, you know. <laughs> and uh, because I never, I, I, you know, I, I I never put myself out in, in front of, like, say, the first band I was in, uh, first, you know, R&B band. Mm-hmm. I was the leader. I was like the guy that would organize or say, okay, let's do this. Make decisions. Bobby Taylor in the Vancouver's. Is that what you're talking oh, about? Way before that. Oh, okay. Uh, it was a uh, little, da- well, it ended up little daddy and bachelors. The first, very first group I had was called the shades. Hmm. And the reason we were called the shades is that my, I used to play backup guitar for this native American, uh, uh, or native Canadian, uh, Indian, uh, Native or First Nations, whatever they call him. Uh, his name is Dick Bird. Dick, in fact, I never even owned a guitar. 
that I could play on stage. I was in high school. Dick would get a, a, a gig, you know, a chance to play on stage doing an Elvis Presley impersonation. And this is when <laughs> Elvis first came out. Right. This is back in 1950, I guess, 55. Oh, wow. Way back when the Elvis yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, 55. This is when Elvis first came on stage. Mm-hmm. He came out in 54, and and uh, and so Dick was doing Elvis tunes, and and he was, you know, he, he was young, and he had the, the haircut, you know, turned his collar up. Skinny Elvis. And he... Yeah, he he was Elvis, uh, and so Dick and I started doing doing you know playing gigs around, and I I would play his acoustic guitar, but and so Dick was in charge of that that group. Then I met a, a black uh, football star named Tommy Milton, and he I met him through my brother. My brother and him played football together in a in a, a junior league. Uh, team and tommy was a beautiful black canadian uh you know descendant from the slaves from texas he uh he, he was a singer and but more than anything he was like almost like an acrobat you know a, a gymnast he was beautiful and he could do all these crazy physical things and i met tommy at dance contests because back in the day i was uh uh, I, I, I learned how to do the Lindy Hop, you know. Uh, that was my go-to thing uh, to meet girls. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, because I learned right away that if, if you could dance, man, you could be very popular. And and I learned how to dance. And uh, we'd be in. And, and my partner was a black girl. That and we used to win a lot of uh, contests, you know, a couple anyway. And anyway, uh, so Tommy, he was a singer. And, and so he introduced me into rhythm and blues. And so the first group we called, we got was uh, called the, the Shades. Now, I would or kind of organize things, you know, like uh, getting paid mm-hmm. <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> the important and, stuff. Uh, and put and, and writing the show. Yeah. And, and so I always, uh, I always backled, you know, right. whatever group I was in. I always, ha- I always played with better musicians than me but i was always back leading and 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 that was the same with when when cheech and i hooked up you know i mm-hmm. uh cheek you know he was just up in canada uh taking a break from the vietnam war yeah break <laughs> that's that's a good way to put it yeah and so he so he and so anyway when we got together I was that was late sixties, right? When you met Cheech? Yeah, I met Cheech sixty-eight. Okay. And then we worked together sixty-nine and then we came uh to LA in uh seventy. And then we met Lou Adler and we recorded our first uh, record uh uh in seventy one. But again, you know, I was never out uh, in front as the leader Tommy Chong in the band it was never that you mm-hmm. know it was always the singer's name like Bobby Taylor in the Vancouver's or Little Daddy in the Bachelors you know and, but when Cheech and I got together then I said to Cheech you know there's only two of us so we're going to have our names it's going to be uh, you know we went around thinking of names and he finally he came, told me his nickname was Cheech and so it became Cheech and Chong nice but Again, even with Cheech, I, I, you know, he was a, my partner. We were partners and everything, but I did a lot of the the writing. Yeah, you know, writing. 
and and the, the and directing too of the films, right? A, f- a few of those films he directed. Directing the writing and the directing, and then the problem with with Cheech is that we started arguing, you know, just lately at the in the documentary about who wrote what, and and the problem I have with Cheech, and in fact he eventually left me and you know did his born in east l.a you know which i had nothing to do with uh but he would never give me credit for he still won't give me credit for doing the writing or and the director hmm. even though my even though my name was there he would never admit uh to, to me or anybody you know yeah uh, and 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 that started to bother me <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> I'm now 83. I'm now 83, and now it started to bother me a little bit. <laughs> He's still still working on yeah. those grievances, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. funny. Well, going back to, I'd I'd love to to go to the mid 80s and the breakup time frame, but I I'm still curious about early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, because you made this album, and you you're the one who mentioned it. I'm glad you did about the skits that you're recording without a live audience. And that's a certain genre of album that you do not, it's, it's non-existent today. Yeah. It just doesn't happen anymore. No. So you created this genre of album that has since died out, but it is still has, it still has reverberations in the creative community and you are iconic because of it. But were there other influences that you were looking to, to inspire you to create that album or was it just organically made out of thin air who were you looking to in terms of your influences their first bit was uh, dave's not here yeah that was pure that was pure teach and charm yeah nobody else right uh the second bit was i think blind melon chip now he was uh it was a blind blues singer, and he was uh, uh inspired by t-bone walker okay uh i saw t-bone walker in fact cheech and i were were going we're looking for places to play because we had played, uh, you know, in my uh, my club, uh, but then we were looking for other venues that I didn't own, you know, right. and just to just to test our, our abilities, you know, get 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 some uh, legs under it. And so we went to this uh, blues club, and uh, Tebow Marker. When we went to talk to the owner, Tebow Marker was going to be the headlining uh, star. And so we stayed to watch the show. Well, T-Bone Walker, they had a carrium on stage, literally. <laughs> oh, no. They he was so drunk. He they had a carrium on stage. While he was on stage, he literally passed out. Oh goodness. <laughs> then they put the guitar in his lap <laughs> and, and, and and they had not tuned the guitar because they loosened the strings for the flight. Oh no. Then <laughs> the bass player, uh, they started playing, and the bass player was leaning over and tight, trying to tighten up the the guitar. <laughs> get get the t- guitar at least taunt, you know, get the strings tight. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, just my mouth was open. I was I was watching this, and and when and Tebow never really sang any lyrics. He he made some noises, you know. Yeah, 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 and. At the end of the, the song, he literally got a standing ovation. Oh, wow. The crowd went nuts. They, <laughs> they loved him so much. Yeah. And and I, I, I had seen T-Bone at his peak. 
at his prime. Mm. And I swear, that crowd gave him a better ovation than he got when he could. I mean, I saw I saw this guy. He would put the guitar behind his neck and then do the splits oh. and then come up, yeah, come up from the splits and then do a backbend and pick up a glass of whiskey uh, with his mouth. And then as he came out of the back band, he would drink the whiskey. Wow. Which, which, which is why he was such an alcoholic at the end of his, at the end of his career. Uh, and so, so we recorded that, no, our version. Okay. Now our version, our version was inspired. Now all our bits are inspired by people or things or that, you know, that we saw events that we saw. Observations. And yeah. Observation. And so my, 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 ex-brother-in-law i was married uh, to a, a beautiful uh, black lady named maxine uh, sneed mm -hmm. well her brother floyd sneed became the drummer for three dog night oh wow and, and yeah and floyd is to this day one of the funniest people on the planet because he he just made when i was going visiting maxine when she was a kid you know floyd was real young he was the one of the best comedians I'd ever seen. He's one of the natural funny, funny guys, you know. And so Floyd, Floyd, Floyd would imitate his uncle talking on the phone, you know. And his uncle would go, ah, yeah, ah, yeah, ah, yeah. This must have been up in Canada then. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Canada. Okay, yeah. And so, so then, then I put that on the record, you know, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> Blind, can you hear me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, so that was our, that was, that was like our second bit. Yeah. And then we, then we had, uh, you know, that was the bits that we could record. And so we found out that we didn't need a big recording studio and, and engineers and helpers and everything else, you know? Yeah. So, so we, we recorded everything after that in a little mixed down room. So we not only, you know, did what we did, but we created a new way of doing it. Yeah. Cheap, cheap production, but it still sounds good. Can you imagine? I mean, we would get, uh, you know, uh, under a thousand dollars. We get every album was well, well under you know, just pennies. Yeah. Basically. Great return on investment. Yeah. Great cost of tape and, uh, and, uh, and an engineer. Well, when we got into the movies, uh, the first thing, Lou, see, I, I'd been working, I'd been wanting to do a movie during our stand-up career because we would, I, I didn't like going on the road that much, you know. Hmm. I mean, I, I didn't mind performing, but, you know, traveling and, you know, hotels and yeah. and being away from the family. And, it's a grind. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so, uh, I, I, you know, then I saw our future was movies. And so I really wanted to do a, a movie. So we started working on movies then. So before you got into movies, when you're still working things out in comedy clubs and, and on the road, how well received were you in the comedy community in the early to mid 70s? Well, there was no, there was no uh, uh, venues. We got discovered at uh, the Troubadour, which was actually a folk hmm. song, right. a folk singing venue. And they would have... Uh, open mic nights and, 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 you know, I play guitar, you know, and Cheech and I would do uh, the odd song, you know, on stage, uh, which really qualified us as folk singers, mm -hmm. but we were really comedians. And so we actually, 
were the ones that created the comedy club uh, venues in uh, in L.A. Oh, and that went around. And then the, yeah, yeah, there was no place for comedians to play except black clubs. Uh, you know, the, but the black club would have a comic and then a dancer. You know, like a stripper, right? And then the, and then dancing. You know, then the band would come and play for dancing, and and that that was the club I had in. Uh, I'd worked with in, you know in Canada. You know that kind of venue. That's why I I I, I was familiar with the stand up comedy uh, world through the through the black comedies the comedians. You know, mm-hmm. like Red like Red Fox and and people like that and Richard Pryor. But when Cheech and I. Uh, and so, so teach our, our part of our act, you know, gave homage to to that 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 world, and and, and we, you know, I'd played in enough black clubs to to know, you know, know what to do, right? You know what I mean? To communicate, that was very important. The comedy, but wasn't the comedy store coming together around that time, or early to mid seventies? It came together. Yeah, it came together. Uh, around that but no no we were way ahead of the curve really well figure out yeah well figure out in 71 is when we were started doing records and before we did the records we were doing uh, stand-up at all the venues we could do you see that makes sense yeah so when the store came to be and mitzi i don't think mitzi was running it then but i think Polly as a kid was still around there and uh, his dad was still running it, but were you, were you well, performing there? Yeah. Yeah. His, his, his dad was running it. Yeah. Well, what happened with the comedy store, we never really performed there until uh, after we did up in smoke. Oh, okay. see, we did up in smoke and then <laughs> uh, Chich and I, after we did the movie, we, we were broke. <laughs> we never got paid for up in smoke. Oh no. No, no, oh, because it was man. it was all done in spec. Okay, yeah, and 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 we we did that movie for under uh, eight hundred thousand hmm. dollars, and we shot it in in a month, under a month. So so uh, yeah, but it, it took time. We took time out of our our stand up career, you know, our touring, and so uh, we, we teach now we're basically broke at the end with the hit movie. Wow. Can you believe that? Oh gosh! And, and because of uh, because Lou ended up being the director on uh, you know the, the director because Teach and I you know we we were just more interested in performing yeah you know we had uh, and so we tried a, a, a director working with Floyd Matrix he was um, he did uh, American Graffiti I think and uh, a few of those uh, teenage movies and uh, but. After a few meetings with Floyd, we, you know, we weren't, we weren't movie actors. Right. You know, we were comedians, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we didn't know what we were going to do until we did it, you know. <laughs> and so, and so Lou convinced Paramount that, uh, that he would, that we would want him to be a director, which is very true, you know, because Lou was produced all our records and he knew how to work with us. And, uh, and so Lou was basically, uh, the director of the movie. But the problem was, you know, in the movie industry, you know, when you say, you know, a, a director is like, you know, giving everybody, you know, the reins of the, of the, the whole thing, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and, and uh, unfortunately we know we weren't represented properly, Cheech and I. Yeah. Uh, so we were, we were properly represented if the movie never did anything. Yeah. You know, 
if it, but it made so much money that Teach and I basically got got uh, scammed out of the out of the pie, you know. Oh man, I read that it made like forty four million dollars. Yeah, right off the bat in the box office or something. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure yeah. much more since then. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we got we got a, a piddling amount, you know, <laughs> compared to. So what what advice would you or let, let me back up a little bit? When did you wise up to the the game that was happening with contracts and money when it came to movies? Because you made a lot of movies. Oh yeah, well no, right at the end of toward the end of Up in Smoke uh lose uh accountant bob green would was coming by because we never really had a contract hmm. you know and he was coming by with the with the contract that believe me it's good you know don't worry about it boys you know just sign here right and i, I and and but i i got the red light you know warning right. flash right came on <laughs> when when they brought me the contract and for the first time in our whole career with with lou he wanted us to uh, get our own lawyer. Okay. Now this is this is when the movie's almost finished, and 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 up until then with the records, you know, we know it was a handshake deal all around. Yeah, yeah, we signed uh, the the normal contract, you know, for the for the record, but uh, you know, it was on spec basically. Mm-hmm. So whatever we got, we, you know, we were glad to get. But when it came to the to the movie, all of a sudden the movie's almost finished. It looks like it's going to be uh, really good. And now we got uh, Lou's accountant bringing us the thing, uh, the contract, not for us to sign, but for us to have another lawyer look at it. Yeah. Okay. And so, so I, I took the contracts and I, and I kind of bullshitted and told uh, Bob, yeah, don't worry. I, yeah, I, I, I got a lawyer. I know, but I never. And, and so for some reason, I, I, I never had another lawyer look at it. And so when we got sued, now they sued me. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. It cracks me up, man. <laughs> well, what happened halfway through, what, we were halfway through the movie, and I was uh, remodeling another house. I'd sold my house, and, and I was short on cash. I needed some cash to, uh, to finish the, 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 the remodel of, of, of our new house. And, uh, and so Lou had uh, Bob Green. Give me a hundred, I think $150,000, you know, but not Cheech, just me. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so uh, Lou, uh, I don't know what happened, but anyway, Bob Green got stiffed because Bob, then it's, it's, it's crazy. They, we got the, I got the 150 grand and then they sued me mm-hmm. or sued Cheech and Chong, not me, not, not just. Uh, me, oh, but Cheech okay. and Chong, and so Cheech went one hundred fifty. You know, I never got <laughs> great. <laughs> and so, so we went. We, we got taken to court, and 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 uh, how did that work out? Well, uh, we went into discovery, found out that uh, they had used our money to to shoot the end of the movie. Mm. Cheech and Chong, not only Cheech and Chong, but. Uh, Bob, uh, uh, Bobby Lamb, Chicago, the accountant, uh, Bob Green, he eventually went to jail for some other charges. Oh, wow. And, and he's no longer practicing, but yeah, but, but at the time, at the time, you know, and then Mitchell Silverberg and Nup, Lou's lawyer, they were liable, you know, because, oh. uh, because uh, they officially represented us, okay, but not, not fairly. But anyway, it, it turned out that 
I, I met a, a, another uh, uh, kind of like a gangster <laughs> a friend from uh, uh, New York named Howard Brown. And, and Howard Brown, uh, Cheech hated Howard to this day. Uh, <laughs> oh, still hated him. But Howard, he got us uh, free from Lou. Then he got us uh, uh, got us lawyers, who Cheech still uses to this day. Just like forty <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and uh, but uh, and then he got us the rest of the movie deals, and and with the stipulation that I direct all the all the movies. Wow. And so that's when I became a director because I was really the the director in Up in Smoke, you know. Uh, although I, I I will admit that Lou had that touch that made the movie a super hit. Yeah, you know, he he had that touch. He had that Lou Adler touch. You can't deny that. And then we worked with Robert Altman's people, you know, so they knew how to do improvisational movie making. Oh yeah, which we did. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and anyway. It, it all worked out good. Yeah, Altman's great. Yeah, because when Howard came in, he he straightened us out. You know, he, yeah, he was he was kind of like a he wasn't a shady character, but he was he he died of uh, pancreatic cancer. But he, uh, I I really loved Howard. You know, and Cheech hated him to this day. So so he was a, either a gangster or a ball buster or you know a, yeah. a, a cannonball type of guy that just comes in and get shit done basically yeah exactly yeah exactly well sometimes you need that type of personality to uh, make things happen you know well you you gotta have those guys on your side right you know Uh, it's it's usually an uncle or a a friend or somebody hey what are you doing you know here here's what you gotta do right and and that's what that's what howard was and so howard (laughs) uh, the deal was that you know (laughs) howard says uh Okay, I'm going to get, first of all, you got to get free of Blue Adler. Okay, so uh, you got to get your own lawyers, you know. And, uh, okay, so we did that. He's, okay, now, uh, let me, I, I know Ned Tannen. This is Howard. I know Ned Tannen, so let me talk to him about your your, your next movie, you know. Because you got a hit movie, you should be able to do right. uh, a ton of movies. So, so, so the deal was that if you got us the next movie, then Howard would be the producer. And uh, he would get at least 10%. Oh, so there's the angle for Howard. Yeah. That was Howard. And so Howard, he, he, we used to call him Suits because he was immaculate all the time. You know, mm-hmm. he'd always wear a suit. And uh, so so Howard, and he was funny. He, he called me up. He said, okay, I got my suit on. You know, I thought it would went with the beige. I think that's going to work. <laughs> right. And he, I got my, so I got a 12 o'clock meeting with uh, Ned and Tannen at Universal, and I'll call you. You go to the Hamburger Hamlet, wait there, I'll call you, uh, and I'll let you know how, how the meeting went. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm waiting at Hamburger Hamlet. Howard calls. He's, okay, I got you a deal. I started screaming, ah, we did it. He goes, <laughs> wait, wait, there's more. I said, what? He says, okay. He said, I had my suit on. The meeting only took a half hour. He says, so I went over, I called uh, Columbia. I went over to Columbia, and I and, and, I, and we got a, a two-picture deal with Columbia. We got one-picture uh, deal with Universal, and we got a two-picture deal. So that's three movies. Wow. And I started really screaming, oh, my God, uh, let me talk. Let me call Cheech. Let me call. He said, wait, there's more. <laughs> I said, what more? He says, okay, they want you to do two movies, but here's the deal. You're going to meet with them. They're going to give you and Cheech each. Fifty thousand dollars, 
and you're going to tell them three movies and they're going to pick two. <laughs> so this pitch meeting then? Yeah, the pitch meeting. Okay. And, and oh man, I, I freaked out. Well, Cheech was not happy. Really? And, no, not at all. Huh. Not at all. I was surprised. Well, what it was, was that what I see, what happened was that he it was Cheech and Chong. So whatever he did, whatever I did, it was always Cheech and Chong, mm -hmm. you see. And so when Lou was directing, it was just Cheech and Chong. Regardless of that, I wrote the, the, the script. You know, I wrote, the, you know, uh, uh, most of the, 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 the uh, Up in Smoke. I w it was still, we're still partners, you know, we're still Cheech and Chong. Yeah. Well, when we got into uh, the the next movie uh, and, uh, you know, uh, what Nice Dreams, next movie, Nice Dreams, things are tough all over, you know, mm -hmm. then, then it was Tommy Chong's the director. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can see why he'd be. And Howard's the one, Howard's the one pulling the strings. Yeah. And, and so he's leading from behind. You're leading from behind kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I can see why that would rub him the wrong way. Yeah. And it did. And yeah. it did. He would leave. Cheech would leave. Uh, I would write the script, you know, all the movies, you know, and he would leave. But, and, and, and another movie is like, uh, 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 still smoking. Mm -hmm. That was another, still smoking was supposed to be a, um, uh, a concert movie, you know, like Eddie Murphy just did uh, Raw. And so they said, oh, Cheech and Chong, you got to do a concert movie. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 it's like saying uh, you should do a comedy record of your act, you know. And I said, eh, I would rather do uh, a movie mm -hmm. about, you know. And so that's what still, and there again, I wrote uh, that movie, you know, Still Smoking. Yeah. Which was a, a farce about yeah, us pretending to be Bert and Dolly. Anyway, anyway, the the film festival people sent the tickets to the wrong guys. They thought they were getting Bert Reynolds and Dolly Parton, and instead they got Cheech and Chong. Oh, and, and, but they were calling us Mr. Bert, Mr. Dolly, <laughs> oh, no. and and oh, that movie is hilarious because in it uh, we we put in all our the the act, the our stand up act that we never ever recorded before and we put it all into uh still smoking mm -hmm. and still smoking was incredibly uh, uh popular you know it was very very well well received you know and and you know and, and again i directed i wrote it you know i sat in uh, in uh, the south of france and i wrote the the movie and, and and we directed that one that was done in amsterdam and then I did uh, Corsican Brothers in Paris. And uh, and I got, you know, I never got any really, <laughs> I got just grief from Cheech. You know? <laughs> yeah. He'd, I had to drag him all, you know, to, to Paris. Now, he, he won't admit it now. You know, he'll, he'll say that, oh, no, you know, he, he really enjoyed Paris because he did. You know, we all did. But he wasn't writing when he was there. No, no, he would go on vacation. Yeah. And then, but he would write when we got, you know, because I never wrote his part or anything like that. I'd say, okay, here's an idea. And then he would come up and he would write his own character, all that stuff. And then he'd write a lot of the, the scenarios that we did, you know. And in retrospect, we should have had some sort of co-directing thing. But, but the thing is, when you have to make decisions, you know, creative decisions, it's best that 
the director with the vision right you know that that he makes that decision you know not even the writers not not the producers the the director yeah i mean that should be you know he sees the direction you're going in but anyway uh and that's and then I think we did uh, the Corsican Brothers was the last movie really that Cheech and I did. Yeah. And then then he split and did his own movie, you know. As you may have noticed, there are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes. And for many of them, we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place. Our newsletter. You can go to dreampathpod.com/newsletter to join. It's not fancy, just an email about each week's episode featured artists, and resources to help you on your journey. Now, back to the interview. So after he split and Cheech and Chong broke up, basically, uh, you went to do your own stand-up show, is that right? Or you, you toured a little bit? Yeah, yeah, years, years. And how did, it feel to, I mean, how did it feel to do stand-up after that many years of having Cheech by your side and having that, that counterpart to your comedy? I loved it. I just loved it. <laughs> I started when we were with Cheech, when we were Cheech and Chong, I started doing minutes in, in between, you know, bits. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I started doing minutes. In fact, uh, there was a couple of times when Cheech would, was kind of in the audience watching me. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Because Cheech really can pick up really fast, you know, and he and he's very very intelligent. He's he's almost like a, uh, what do you call it? Like a some kind of genius that can remember stuff. Oh yeah, photographic memory. Yeah, he's got that. Yeah, he's got that. And uh, I mean, oh, he and he could imitate anybody and and write. You know, when he sees what direction we're going in, you know, oh, you know, just give it to teach. You know, no, but doing the stand up. Oh man, I loved it. You have no idea, <laughs> you know, the power, you know, because I always was like a solo act that, you know, I, even though I played backup guitar, I, I, I wasn't a good guitar player, but I, I was good enough. Mm -hmm. But, but stand up, it's just you, yeah, you and the mic. Right. And you, you got control and I loved it, but I got lonely and I didn't like being out there on, alone on the road, you know, because you're so vulnerable. And so I uh, talked my wife into joining the act. Shelby? Yeah, Shelby. She didn't want to, she, she didn't want to, you know, come and sit in the dressing room, wait while I perform. And she was studying acting at the time. She's like a, a genius at everything she does. You know, she studies languages. When she and I were doing Up in Smoke, she was uh, going to UCLA taking French. And, and, and she got so good, her French teacher invited her to, to Arcachon. Uh, where he, uh, you know, his family lived. And no, no, Shelby, and she's a painter. She's she does all, all these oil paintings now, and she she's a dancer and she's a beauty. And anyway, she was studying acting at the time, and so I said, "Well, why don't I put you in the show?" And she goes, "Okay." <laughs> so so she ended up first, you know, just announcing me, and here he is, and into doing at the end of she could do at least an hour of her own stand-up, you know. That's impressive. It is very impressive, yeah. That is really impressive. It's tough to have 15 minutes. Yeah, and, and it wasn't that, you know, that I made her do her own. I was very content for, you know, having her as a partner. Mm -hmm. And then when Cheech and I got back together, that was funny. That was a funny thing. 
I remember I was kind of on the roof and I was kind of suntanning. And all of a sudden I got Shelby standing over top of me because she knew that Cheech and I were getting back together again. Uh-huh. She says, you're not going to just abandon me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get one thing straight, mister. <laughs> Let's get one thing straight, yeah. mister. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get me doing stand-up and then just shove me aside. I said, no, you're going to be part of the show. Yeah. And, and so Cheech and I almost never got back together because when we did meet, we had the, the first meeting. It didn't go very well mm. because it was still the same old stuff. Yeah. But then, but then, but I hadn't seen him for like almost 20 years, you know? And so I was like, really, it was like, like you know, heartfelt that I saw him, you know? So it's like 2005 or so. This is after you yeah, went to prison? Yeah. Uh, no, no. Before. Before no, no, prison. Before, okay. before prison. Just before prison. No, it was around 2000. It was after 9-11, I guess. Okay. Uh, Cheech's career sort of ground to a halt, you know. Might have been 2002 then, in that, 2002, 2003. Yeah. And, and yeah, and then he, um, so he, uh, <laughs> no, the reason I know it was uh, 9-11, <laughs> uh, when we were off, uh, uh, Shelby got into the comedy, uh, uh, the women comedy gang, you know, there's yeah. a bunch of them, and, and this one, uh, oh God, I can't think of her name, anyway. Uh, the, she was friends, and, and Shelby went to where they were. Oh, Austin, Texas, I think. Uh, Nancy, Nancy Reed, and so she went to flew to to uh, Texas to do some stand up the night of <laughs> the night of nine eleven. Nine nine eleven. Wow, <laughs> tough crowd. <laughs> no, no crowd. Yeah, no crowd. <laughs> the crowds were the clubs were closed. <laughs> And, oh, and, and these girls, I said, didn't you see what happened? And she, yeah. <laughs> but we still got to try out our act. Oh, my goodness. Oh, fuck, I, fuck, I laughed. But anyway, you know, I, I I had the biggest laugh at her. So anyway, so Cheech and I, the meeting never went that well. <laughs> and so, and so, but I, I really, you know, it was really a thrill seeing Cheech again. Yeah. You know, and so I, 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 I sent him an email and my son Paris who manages us he intercepted the email and he eliminated that email and sent his own and he said he said uh, it was really nice I'm glad that we can be working together again (laughs) so he cleaned it up and 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 made it more diplomatic then or no he said that that, uh, yeah I really want to work with you again oh okay And, and so but we should come over and have a rehearsal nice and we haven't been together forever yeah and so so then my you know i thought i'd sent the email that saying you know nice try but no 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 cigar yeah <laughs> and next thing my parents says uh it, it was really kind of like kids are you know he's uh Dad, that email you sent? Okay, it never sent. Yeah. I sent my own, and uh, Cheech is going to be here tomorrow at noon for rehearsal. (laughs) (laughs) That's a sign of a good manager. (laughs) Oh, tremendous, tremendous. Because we needed somebody like that, you know. And he he was a road manager from then on. And the deal that he made with Cheech was that Shelby's going to be part of the show. Yeah. She's going to be introducing us. And, And then, so, we started like in 05, and then by 08 no 08 is when we officially put the tour together we did a few gigs in la jolla and it was like we never left you know Mm. no rehearsal there was no rehearsal 
we just went up. That must be a great feeling. Oh. Just to sink like that, you know? Oh, my just, God. Can you imagine? Oh, that's awesome. And it was it was like, it was so, so seamless. Yeah. And then, and then Shelby, it was so good that Shelby, um, she uh, really loved Shelby's participation because now we didn't have to split up, split up. Like every once in a while, we, when Cheech and I did our act, one of us, you know, would be on stage. The other one's getting changed. Now, now with Shelby there, we were working together. You know, yeah. we, we'd always be together. It really worked out good. And she added such a beautiful, no pun intended, but such beauty to the show. Oh, she's gorgeous. Yeah. Oh. Every, every time I see footage of her, Tommy, I think, did Tommy marry someone like 40 years younger than him? I mean, not, you look great <laughs> too. I'm not trying to say you look old, but she no, no, looks you're, really, you're right. really young. You're right. She, and she's she's not a lot younger than you. I think she's, what, 10 years younger than you, maybe? 10 years younger than me. Yeah. Oh, no. No, she's a phenomenon. I mean, no, we're, we're hanging with billionaires now, you know. And, and part of the reason is because of Shelby. You know? <laughs> they're all friends with her. You know? and, and they're all like a lot. They like that beauty and that that knowledge of how to be beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, and the skills that she's got. I mean, are incredible. Yeah, I, I swear to God. Before when we went to Australia, you know, Cheech and I uh, used to do Australia almost yearly before we broke up, and then when we got back together again, oh, Australia wanted us in the worst way. But when we got there, first promoter says, "Oh, okay. Well, Shelby's going to do the first uh She'll go on first. She'll do her show. Then we're going to have an intermission. And then uh, Cheech and Chong comes on, you know. And uh, at, fr at first, I, you know, she'd never it never worked like that before. But Shelby was all for it. Yes, she liked that. And so she went up. She killed for, for she did her 30 minutes, I think, at the time. And then she, then they brought us, they had an intermission. And then they brought us out. And that worked. And, uh, oh, no, she was uh, to this day. But the pandemic, oh, that really that really hurt her, her soul more than anything. I think it hurt a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, just it's crushing. Oh, she missed. I mean, her, her it, it, that was the end of her uh, stand-up mm -hmm. career, yeah. basically. You know, because now we're going back. We can't go back doing the same same show anymore. It's not the same world. Yeah. You know, I, I doubt if we'll ever go back. Uh, you know, now. Yeah. I think it's, we are forever changed. I mean, we're changed as a society. We're, we're changed yeah. biologically. I mean, it's just so many changes, like in terms of crowds and being comfortable in crowds and jokes that like, I, I don't know if, if people's sensibility and humor is the same, even, I think that might've changed too over the last year. I, I think, I think it has. Well, I know uh, I've been watching uh, uh, Dean Martin roast. You know, uh, and uh, and seeing the old comics and that, and oh man, <laughs> that's what that was our time. That was our time. Mm -hmm. That was our. You know, I did a Dean Martin roast. Yeah, it's 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 changed, and and you can't go back. Yeah, you know, it's a new world now. You know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, you've um, I I, I forgot to ask you when we were talking about your solo stand up, not to back up too far in our conversation, but your solo stand up. How much of that was still caricature from Cheech and Chong days versus your storytelling stand-up that I've seen recently, where you're just you're so comfortable getting up on a stage, looking out at the crowd, 
and telling a story and making people crack up. Yeah. And it's just, it's just you. It's just completely a hundred percent authentically you. Yeah. And what I'm wondering is if your stand up in the eighties and nineties after Cheech and Chong was like maybe a hybrid of that and maybe some of your Tommy Chong, you know, character from the Cheech and Chong days. You know, the only character I really carried with me on stage was Bly Mel and Chibble. That was the only one. And I did it you know, as a solo act, you know. Yeah, yeah. My act, I guess, kind of was stand up and then I'd go into music. Right. You know, I, I'd pick up my guitar and, and, and sing. So <laughs> when, when Cheech and I got back together uh, the, in uh, Aspen, <laughs> This is before the, the, was it the before the meeting with Paris? I think it was. <laughs> um, Aspen Comedy Festival? Yeah, at the Comedy Festival. We had okay. we had worked together, you know. And so she said, what do you want to do? And I said, uh, well, let's do Harry and Margaret, you know. Because in Harry and Margaret, she doesn't say a word. He just mimes everything. <laughs> so, is that the porn one where he's talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cheech didn't want to do that. Yeah. He didn't want to do that because he's now Richard, you know? Right. And he's done. And so, so he, he just, no, 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 I don't want to do that. You know? And, and so, so uh, I, I, I just, when we went on stage, you know, I've got an act. You saw it. <laughs> I started, I forgot. I started singing up in smoke mm -hmm. and I added all this, this, this bad references to Cheech and Don Johnson. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and I, and I sang it. Teachers behind from Nash Bridges. Yeah. <laughs> Teachers walking behind me. He's walking behind me, uh, pacing like a, like a lion in a cage. You know, he couldn't leave the stage, and he couldn't he couldn't join in because I'm I'm doing a I've been smoking. I do a, a line where it's a, where you where it's like a free form kind of thing, you know where you. You get so stoned, you 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 forget you got. You go to the uh, you go to the oh and blockbuster to hire, to rent a video. You know, uh, you want to see Cheech and Chong, and, and but you get so stoned, you forget you got the video, and you turn on TV and you start watching the Discovery Channel, mm -hmm. and you think you start thinking to yourself, "Gee, uh, you a show about two frogs mating." And you think, "Gee, Cheech looks funny without a mustache," and, <laughs> and who's that? <laughs> that frog mating with him. It looks like Don Johnson. Oh, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We never talked about that after that. So the the acting career, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your sure. acting. Cause you, you were on that 70s show for a long time. I think 65 episodes. Yeah. Five years. As, as Leo. And I think you had to break during your prison sentence and came back. Yeah. But how did you look at your acting career relative to other things that were happening in your life creatively? Was it you were doing it because it paid the bills and you had health insurance, but you were really focused on other things like comedy and writing and music? Or was that really the artistic expression that you were focused on during that time frame? Because, I mean, if you look at your IMDb filmography, it's just, it's huge. You've been on so many shows and, and movies. I know, I know, no, the that seventy show. It was uh, it, what I loved about it is that they loved my character. You know, uh, not so much the the stoner with uh, with Cheech, right? But they loved the, that 
the essence uh-huh. of, of a who I am. And Mark Bazil, you know, the creator, he was the one that, that, that he saw what the 70 show needed. What they were, the, the 70 show people used to joke and they, they call me the stunt uh, celebrity. You know, <laughs> they always had a stunt celebrity involved in, and I was the one that that ended up being part of the cast, yeah. Because they were they were kind of looking around, you know, trying to find something to 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 uh, I guess to authenticate the show. Mm-hmm. You know, it was called the seventy show, and who better to get than than Chong? You know, right. of, of of Cheech and Chong, and so Leo, the character, uh, was perfect because uh, you know it authenticated the show. It it, it made the show. Really, the seventy show, right? And and uh, I really enjoy. I see with me, I'm I'm really comfortable being myself because I can't do a lot of things, you know, that other actors can do. Right? You know, I'm not an actor. Just like I say, I'm not a guitar player. I can play the guitar. I I, I played the guitar good enough that it I pissed uh, Herbie Hancock off. What? <laughs> Yeah, because Herbie, Herbie said, man, he, he, he saw our show and he goes, man, you know, like you, you, you're, you're playing, you're doing it. And then you get into that other blind melon shit. You know? <laughs> That's what he called it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and I realized that's when I quit doing blind melon, you know, because right. I realized that it was, it was offensive. A little racially, racially insensitive. Yeah, yeah, it was totally, totally. Even though it was a family thing, but it was something that you don't do nowadays anymore. Right. <laughs> and and so, but I'm not a guitar player, but I can play guitar. And and that was a '70s show too. I'm not really an actor, but I can play that character. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can really play that character because I I am that character. I really am that character. And 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 I realized I forget who told me. I mean, you know, one of the greats, like uh, Red Fox or somebody like that. It, you know, it's so much easier being yourself. Yeah. You know, then you don't have to study or, you know, you have to you do dialogue lex or anything like that. You know, just being yourself. If, if you know, if you can draw from that experience. Mm-hmm. And then the time, you know, even though I, I didn't have a lot of lines or, you know, you know, I was like used as a spice in, in the show. I didn't waste my time. You know what I used to do at the 70s show? I would uh, go to school. I would sit on, a, on the rehearsals with the kids, with anybody, and just sit in there and watch how uh, Dave uh, Trainer, the, the, the uh, director, would, would teach. Because it was really a teaching thing. Mm. With, because all those kids were there too young yeah. to really have any you know, chops. And so Dave would teach. Uh, you know, he'd give a, a, a so I'm, I'm like uh, sitting in on a class, master class of television uh, sitcom. Oh, fantastic. And so I got it. And then I, and the writing, the writing was, uh, that's what really, really impressed me is because I, you know, I'm used to doing movies where you make up every, every word that I said come out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in a show where every line is written. Yeah. Every line is written. I did ad lib one line and they left it in. And 65 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. One one line. Incredible. Everything else was written by the writers. And that that was another thing that pissed me off when, you know, when teacher, uh, you know, would not recognize me as a writer, you know, mm-hmm. because writers really are, they, you know, they, they don't get near the credit that they deserve. 
No, you know, you can't think of like name a Hollywood actor. People can list off hundreds, name a Hollywood writer and it's crickets. It's like, you really have to dig deep. Who's, who's writing. They're so behind the scenes they're so buried behind the creative process that they don't get that credit that they deserve. No. And even if you get to know them, you can't remember their name. You have to Google and search right. and everything. And some of the greatest movies ever written, ever made, made was because of the writing. Mm-hmm. It was a writing. You don't have it. If it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. Yeah, that's what they say. So I, I want to ask you a broader question about your career because you've had such a long career that started geographically so far away, time-wise so far away. I mean, you're performing in the 1950s, playing in bands, and you're up in in Calgary, Alberta. You make your way down to Los Angeles with Cheech, and you hit the comedy circuit and making records, and then you make movies, and then you have a solo stand-up career, and then television career, and, and, and more movies. But I'm wondering how much of this was planned versus like in a chessboard, you know, you can think a couple of moves ahead, maybe four or five if you're like a grandmaster or, or more. But, you know, then there's the folks that don't think any moves ahead. They just kind of stumble through life and things just happen very organically for them yeah. without a lot of strategy. Where do you fall on that spectrum of planning versus just letting things happen organically? Well, what I learned, see, see I, was, I was raised... In the country, basically, you know, I never had a mom or, or a dad when I was in my uh, early stages. Uh, I I was in the hospital when I was four years old. Uh, that's my my first sort of memories. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of remember bits and pieces, but I, it was probably the stories that my mother told me after when we got together. We were I was separated, so I was kind of institutionalized. What? Oh, I didn't know that. I did a lot of research on you. I did not know that. I was uh, institutionalized from being in the hospital. My mother had TB, so she was quarantined. Hmm. She, I never saw her. We never saw her for five years. We used to stand at the bottom of the hospital, and she was on the second or third floor and waving at us. And, and uh, you know, after I got out of the after I got out of the hospital, so I went to the hospital first, and I went. Then my dad he couldn't deal with us because he had issues too and so he put all all his kids into the salvation army home like an orphanage oh my goodness and and so then i was in an orphanage institutionalized you see mm-hmm. and and uh and so so when i went to jail it was no big deal you know, like home, <laughs> home, you know? i've, I've oh, seen okay. these walls before <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i know the thing and so what you learn when you're when you're alone like that there you learn how to go within yourself you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and then you have people that take care of you and, you know, that kind of protect you, you know, and keep you from being bullied. The only reason people get bullied is because they've been, uh, a lot of them have been so spoiled, protected at home that they're, they don't know how to react into, into the wilderness. You know, it's just like a domestic rabbit, you know, it's been a pet, it's been fed all the time and it has no uh, skills mm-hmm. in the in the wild. Well, being institutionalized like I was, I had I had those skills. I know, you know, just instinctively, you know. Right. Protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know how to how to survive. You know. Right. Don't upset. You know. Don't 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 be, don't let people see you. You know. Sort of stay stay hidden. And so so I was like that right up until uh, and then then uh, being poor, 
the only uh, outlet we had, you know, growing up as a, a, a teenager was uh, uh, if you wanted to go on a, on a vacation, you went to army cadets in, in, in uh, Calgary. So I was an army cadet uh, from the age 13 to 16. And so, uh, you know, I learned how to march and, and we'd go to army cadet camp. And, and there again, it's in Vernon, BC. It was a military camp. Wow. I learned how to, uh, how to shoot a rifle. Uh, you know, I was a marksman. Hmm. I learned how to march. That's how I could dance, you know, dancing with the stars. I knew, I, you know, I drilled I, every day for uh, all summer. Mm-hmm. I learned how to march. And, and it wasn't a, like in the movies, you know, they make it look like it's so hard and everything else. But in real life, it's fun. It is so much fun because, you know, you're in step with everybody and uh-huh. you got the, you know, you're on parade, you've got a band playing behind you, you know, and you're strutting and you got a uniform on. Yeah. And that's when I first got into girls, you know, uh, oh, you got that uniform. And, and, <laughs> and, but I was, I was, I was kind of shy and sort of an introvert. And then somewhere along the line, when I was eight years old, I learned I could play guitar good enough so the fiddle player across the field would use me as a backup guitar player. Hmm. You know, so I kept really good rhythm. And so I learned, learned that, you know, and it was, and this was all for entertainment because we never had TV. We never, uh, we, I grew up without a television set or uh, we had a radio and I was the one that had it, but we only had one station in Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> you had a choice, <laughs> either turn the radio on or off. <laughs> that, was, that was a choice. So you, I see some guitars on the wall back there, mm-hmm. and I've seen some videos of you playing beautifully. What's your go-to guitar these days? Uh, I guess the Paul Reed Smith. I got a Paul Reed Smith over there. It's it's a six thousand dollar guitar. But see, I you know I grew up. This is this is this one here is uh, I had it refinished. It was in a plastic bag, but this is the very first guitar. That my mother bought when she was pregnant with me. Wow. Is that the one you learned when you were eight? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's the one I made money with. Huh? I, I would take this to a gig and, and get paid. And, and, a, and it's a cheap little Sears guitar. It had a hula girl on it one time. <laughs> and, and my son, Gibran, uh, who was also a musician, he got a degree from Boulder in uh, percussion. He, he, for my birthday, he, he took it and... Uh, got it refinished got it redone what you got there paul reed oh yes yeah that's right you paul got a reed smith one, it's a green you can, it's really dark green flame maple oh beautiful and uh yeah paul reed i've been playing paul reed for years i wish i was good enough to really justify having such a great instrument i'm not i don't deserve to have it but paul reed makes a great guitar oh beautiful yeah beautiful guitar no i used everybody else's guitar for so many years that when I could finally afford one, oh, and I got to tell you, the first guitar I ever bought was uh, uh, Les Paul Jr. Oh, nice. That's another nice one. Uh, and uh, it was when they first came out. And, and they were cheap, cheap-ass guitars. And uh, I kept it. But, uh, you know, the, the cardboard case that used to come in? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they were only good to take home, really, basically. Right. But I that was the guitar case, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> gig around with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, I around. and so it got to the point where it fell apart, but it was the only case I had. So I 
I tied it up with a nylon stocking. You know, back in the day when you could get nylons, you know, they'd throw them away and I'd find a nylon. It was a good, good rope. And so I, I, I got this thing tied together with a nylon stocking <laughs> around this thing. And, and the next thing I know, I look, there's another guitar player and I look, and he's got, he copied me. <laughs> he, oh, no. He thought it was He's like got a ragged uh, ass case with a with a <laughs> nylon stocking tied around. It's it. trend. You created a trend. <laughs> it was a trend. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I I I no the guitars. I, no, my dream is to get a a, a Martin, uh, an old Martin, a fifties, mm-hmm. yeah, or forties, like a D forty five or something like that. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I've been looking for one. And was, and I'm cheap too, you know, because when I find out they're ten thousand dollars, you know, I could afford it. But there's something within me that goes. My dad told me one time that he could live off ten thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to buy a guitar that costs ten thousand dollars. You know, there's something. You know, you get a little block. Yeah, you get a block. There. No, I I feel you. Also, there's something fun about the hunt for a good deal. Like you, yeah. You know, you want like, oh, I got a great, there's a story behind it at that point, you know, Yeah. as opposed to, you know, going to, you know, Sweetwater or American music and buying some crazy expensive instrument. But uh, yeah. And half the time, uh, if you overpay for anything, you've been robbed, you've been taken. Right. You know? Yeah. A lot of times. No, I'm I'm not, I'm not good with wealth. I'm really good with, like I go shopping, we're in Aspen (laughs) and, uh, with all these billionaires, and so all the shops in Aspen, you know, shit. I, I paid thirty dollars for a pizza and a and a Arnold Palmer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, that's where the prices are going. Right. And so my wife's going to shop in Louis Vuitton and Gucci and all those shops. You know, I found a thrift store <laughs> in Aspen. Oh man, I had the best time in that thrift store. I love thrift stores. Because now you can search and you find something, and, and if it doesn't work out, you just donate it back. Right. Well, you you know, you can take the the man out of the humble beginnings, but you can't take the humble <laughs> beginnings out of the man. I mean, I think you're no. you're wired that way from being in an orphanage, growing up poor, and just making do with almost nothing. Yeah, and you is you you appreciate stuff. You appreciate so much stuff. And now, and, and, and that's where I look at everything, I, you know, like a, if I get too chunky, you know, overweight, you know, and I have to diet, you know, I, 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 I embrace it, you know, like my, my son's married to a Muslim, you know, and she had to do the Ramadan fast, mm-hmm. you know, I fasted with her. Nice. Oh, what a great idea. I had a great time. Yeah. Fast all day. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love these challenges you know and, and it's like being alive like 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 going on all the rides at disneyland mm-hmm. you know when when you're when you're alive you know you got we got this body and if you take care of it you do certain things but you can customize it you can make yourself look so cool and you know mm-hmm. and i love that I, I i i just love that and i'm so blessed that's what i'm saying you know the the, the upbringing I had, you know, the fact that, you know, that I wasn't overindulged or you know, whatever, you know, or spoiled. And my, 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 the partner, uh, Howard Brown, he was so sad in so many ways because his mother kind of ruined him. He hated his mother and she had been dead for forever, but he had this horrible because I didn't know. 
it was, it was she, they would torture him or something, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and it never, he never really got over it. And Howard, you know, when I first met him, like I, I tried to help everybody, you know, but Howard had the worst diet, you know, it was all candy bars. Mm. And, and, and so we, everybody at, at the office, we tried to change his habits and he would sneak the candy bars in and all that, you know, and then after a while, you just give up. Yeah. And then, then he got pancreatic cancer from the candy bars. Probably connected. Yeah. Wow. It was, it was sad, but you know, everybody has their own uh, story to tell basically. Yeah. You know, and, and you don't want to interrupt them. Right. You know, if that's the way they're going, you know, you, you give people uh, like a, uh, like the, 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 you know, everything is here to learn. You know, I tell people on, on, uh, uh, cameos and that, that, uh, you know, the best way to be happy is to be in the present, mm-hmm. you know, always be in the present. Cause if you're in the present and then whatever the situation is, find the humor. Mm-hmm. If you can find the humor in whatever the situation is, terminally ill people, they can find the humor in it. You know, they will. I, I was doing it too. Well, yeah, you've, you've had a couple <laughs> yeah. of bouts of cancer, serious stuff. Yeah. yeah, when I when I had cancer, I overheard my 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 wife and I think my son. They were canceling my life insurance because <laughs> <laughs> I'm OPD. Uh, I I thought that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said, "Oh, I guess I am going to go." <laughs> Oh my God. I I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your business. And it seems to be huge right now in terms of your dispensary business. It's Tommy Chong brand, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. What's happening in the business world with Tommy Chong products and marijuana? Well, you know, the, the, again, the lie, the lie was so, you know, blatant. You know, that marijuana, you know, led to heroin use. And, and you have to lock up these horrible drug pushers and all that crap. In the meantime, marijuana now, especially with the pandemic, was the only thing that was deemed essential, <laughs> along with water. Right. <laughs> you know. That's why the dispensaries stayed open, <laughs> along with grocery stores. Yeah, they stayed open. They were essential. And don't worry about a mask, you know. Yeah, but here's your weed, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 we're talking about a plant that sells itself. Now, once it goes federally legal, which it will, it has to. You're going to look at uh, our our company is going to be worth billions, billions of dollars because this is a like I say, it's got so many good things about it that that no matter what it, you you got wrong with you. The CBD or the THC is going to help somehow, mm-hmm. you know. Well, look at me. I mean, the, I'm cancer-free, uh, you know, and, and I've seen – I've had people that, you know, they're no longer with us because, boom, stage four right away. Mm-hmm. But with me, it, I just – and it wasn't the THC. It was a, T, a CBD that, that, that uh, worked on me, you know. Yeah. And, and I was injecting it. I, I got to inject it. And I got me, I, I never even went near an opioid after. Yeah, when I was in the hospital now, they had me hooked up, uh, hit a button, and I would get a nice little message. I almost wore out that button. <laughs> I, I, I knew I was going to get off it, but I was going to enjoy it while I'm here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed it. But the, the THC and the CBD, 
And that alone, and then with my knowledge of the of the uh, spiritual world, the mystic world, uh, I'm going to be uh, in the record books uh, as far as I can see uh, for for longevity. Mm-hmm. And then in the business itself. And see, I'm the kind of guy that if if I make billions of dollars, oh, I'm going to change the landscape of this this country, you know, because I know what people need. You know, what they need is education. That's what people need, mm-hmm. you know, and education in such a way, like I can see us turning uh, prisons into schools, mm-hmm. you know, which they are anyway. But instead of warehousing people and then uh, hiring people, you know, just to, to check on them and feed them, you know, that that's that's not the way to go, you know. And so so the federal law right now, if you go to federal prison and, and you're, uh, you know, young, uh, young enough and you don't have an education, it's mandated that you get your uh, GED. Yeah. It's mandated. Now, when I was in prison, I, I, I never had a, I never graduated high school. So I, I took a, a GED course and uh, I just can't, I, I couldn't get by uh, algebra. You know, I still can't. I can't either. <laughs> and so, the, and so. So they know me because I'm such a celebrity. Well, just write down anything, we'll pass you. And I said, no, I can't. Can you imagine coming up with a prison diploma that you cheated on? (laughs) 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 What what, what would that be worth? Right. You know? I mean, no, I said, no, no, no. Okay, I'll I'll stay ignorant. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Once once we get successful, I mean, to the point where, you know, we're – and, you know, I, and like I said, I was hanging with these billionaires and that. And they're funny, man. These are people with a lot of money. A lot of them are big Trump fans, too, you know. Oh, yeah. Because of the, uh, the, the tax thing. <laughs> but uh-huh. but I, I laugh at them because I can see, you know, they're struggling. They're, they're, they're struggling with everything, you know. First of all, they're struggling with their weight because all they do is eat. <laughs> <laughs> all they do is that's not, that's your that's old man sex too you know food <laughs> you know and, and that's what rich people do all they do is drink and eat and, and they oh we gotta have a cocktail party at this house and you know, everybody goes over to the house it's the same people and they walk around with their drinks and they got the wine that costs two grand or ten grand or whatever you know they're sipping that and then they're eating hors d'oeuvres then oh we gotta go to the restaurant and, we go there and then they order, you know, the food. <laughs> and uh, it got so bad that I had to figure out a workout while I'm sitting down. Because, I, you know, I've been weightlifting all my life. And, you know, so, so exercise is part of my, my routine. So I'm no, even if I sit, even when I was on the hospital bed, I, I found a way to work my abs. You know, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm laying there recovering. And, and, and so I learned that you can do isometrics, you know, you can do leg raises laying on your bed, you know, and you mm-hmm. can do crunches. Yeah. You can do crunches and leg raises. Well, I'm sitting at, at the restaurant and I, I learned that if you tighten your butt cheeks, I mean, if you tighten your butt cheeks uh, all at once, I'm doing it now. You, you tighten your butt <laughs> cheeks and, and then you lay them down and you do reps, you know, do maybe. Uh, 20 reps and then you can do one at an individual butt cheek by itself and then you can do a roll forward roll and then a backward roll (laughs) and then you then if you pull your your stomach your belly button try to pull it in you can work your waist you can work your waist and this is all sitting down 
you know, and I was working my, my legs and that. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I like I said, I'm so blessed that time, that's all we have. That's it. And, and, and it's limited. So the key really is your mind mm-hmm. because you that's all you really can control if, if you're in control. If you're in control of your mind, there's so much, so much you can do. And it's all written in the books, you know, the gurus and the spiritual leaders and all that, you know, the ones that meditate uh, for hours and, you know, go on trips, astral travel, you can astral travel, you can do so many things. But physically, you can improve your body physically just by sitting. You You don't have to go anywhere. You know, there's so many things you can do, but in your mind, and then then we got to, now with all the television, that's what people said to me, oh, isn't that locked down terrible? I got, I, I don't know how many channels I got. <laughs> I haven't, I, first of all, I have to figure out how to work them. But when I get them, man, I can watch, and then and what I've been doing, watching documentaries yeah. uh, and, and travel shows. Rick Seeves, I think his name is. I'm watching, I'm going to, Frankfurt. I'm going to all these places, and I'm not moving out of my office. I'm in my office. Yeah, I got a big widescreen TV. Oh man, I got my guitar. I got everything I need. I'm living the life, man. Wow, I really am. I like that perspective. Have you ever watched any of Anthony Bourdain's travel oh, shows? I was a big Anthony Bourdain fan. Yeah, and I even understood his heroin addiction mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, totally understand it. You know, I, I, in fact, I, I've been around junkies all my, all my life. You know, we went to Vancouver as junkie heaven, and it wasn't for the junkie. You know, people say, "How come you never tried heroin?" <laughs> I said, "I don't know that that vision of uh, laying in the gutter with a needle in your arm." You know, it kind of stuck in my head. You know, the bad junk was going around; it was killing everybody, and it didn't kill this one junkie. And he, 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 he I got ripped off, man. <laughs> oh man well tommy chong it's been so fun talking to you and your career is amazing your story and your storytelling abilities it's just a real pleasure to hear and i just want to thank you for sharing your story with my listeners well i'm glad man i really enjoy this you know okay well thank you for having me it, it was a lot of fun, Tommy, and I wish you all the best in your marijuana business and your artistic career going forward. Okay, and anytime you want to do it, I'm with you. I'm, I'm here. Hey. I'm available. We'll have to talk again, Tommy. Thanks a lot. Okay, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path. <laughs>